we're going to be starting a new series, reading from the book of Philippians. Now, usually as a church, we usually talk about um, topics. We usually take topics and then we try and uh, uh, we try burrow ourselves into those topics. We deep dive in and then we add uh, scripture in as we're going through those topics. But this month, we try and do this uh, uh, once or twice a year, but we, we, uh, for, for, for a month at least. Um, we wanted to just take Scripture and we're going, to, we're going to systematically just go through the Scripture. That means that I don't actually have a topic today. That means I don't know really exactly if any of it is cohesive because we are only taking chapters per week and really the whole book of a Bible is a letter, which really is, only makes sense if you read the whole thing. But of course, we can't do everything today. So we're going to go through it piece by piece. And we're going to start at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, what I'm going to do is wherever there is a yellow text, that is a text that I think is significant after all my study. It's a, it's a text that I think is significant enough to stop on in order to give us some more context of what we're reading and what is it that Paul is writing about. So let's start off right at the beginning. And it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. He identifies himself as the one who is writing the scripture. And he says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Right off the bat there, he says, in Christ Jesus. That might seem like a, what, what, what does that mean? What does that have to do? Do we really need to stop at this point? It doesn't seem like it has any significant reason for us to start looking at in Christ Jesus. But there is. And here's what it is. If you look through the whole book of Philippians, 132 times he says the phrase, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, or in the Lord. 132 times. When someone is telling you something over and over and over and over again, a bit like what parents try to do with their children to get them to tidy the room, tidy your room, tidy your room, tidy your room, you know that they're really trying to make a point. They're really trying to push and press something home. And I believe that when we look at the words in Christ Jesus, we think of that as a very normal phrase to use. But really, in the West, we tend to live our lives as Christ Jesus in us. Now, if you look at an Eastern type of culture, which, by the way, everything in the Bible is written with an Eastern mindset, an Eastern, an Eastern framework, right? They're, they're, all the people that wrote the Bible were from the East. None of them were from the West. We're from the West. And sometimes it's good for us to understand that they thought differently and they, and they even acted differently. And in the, the East, they're more likely to actually, every decision they made were, was always taken into account of how does this affect the community. Now, of course, in our culture in the West, we tend to think about how does what the community do, uh, do how, what, how is what the community is doing, how does that affect me personally? We're a very individualistic culture, even in my country in Scotland, but, and especially here in America, we're very much about me and my rights. But Paul is not even talking about a Western culture or an Eastern culture. He's literally talking about a kingdom culture. This is not about how you affect other people or how other people affect you. This is about you being in Christ, not Christ being a part of you, where it's compartmentalized, where I have my business, I have my family, I have my special time, I have my, my relaxed time, I have my Netflix time, oh, and I have my Jesus time. 
No, this is not where Jesus is, a, is, is a, an item on your list. This is where Jesus is the piece of paper that everything that you have in your life is written upon. You see what I'm saying? And so Paul is saying this over and over again. He's saying, in Christ Jesus, define yourself as someone who is in Christ Jesus, not Jesus who is in you. And so he continues on as he just opens up here and he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with, what does that word say? Joy. Joy. Here's the second word. The first, the first phrase was in Christ Jesus, but the second phrase or the second word that he uses over and over and over again is this word joy. Sometimes rejoice or sometimes the word thanksgiving. He uses this word over and over again. And you're about to find out why that word is so significant just in a second. But it's significant that he is using this word joy because it's easy to be joyful and to be happy when it's your birthday and everyone's bringing you presents and a birthday cake and you're getting to blow the candles out. That's joyful. It's a wonderful thing. Everything's joyful. But when things are not joyful... Are you joyful? When things are tough and difficult, can you say, I am just so joyful? Even if you don't feel it, are you joyful? Why is it important to be joyful? Because scriptures tell us this, that joy is the very thing that gives us strength. The joy of the Lord is my, the joy of the Lord is my, we're going to find out in a second that Paul was actually in chains when he was saying this. Imagine being in prison and going, oh, isn't this awesome? This is just, this is better than my birthday. This is just wonderful. How is he able to have such joy? Let's continue on. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That means when I first came to you, you got all in with this, this stuff. And, and I'm just so excited that you were a part of what I am doing. He mentions this word partnership. And the old, the old, the, 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 the Greek word here is an, a Greek word that you may have heard before. He uses a word called koinonia or koinonia, as we would say back in Scotland. Koinonia. In fact, there's, there's a sweet family in our, in our church here. You, you, many of you know the Strombeck seniors, and they started a ministry in South America, and now they're in Ukraine, and they've been in Ukraine for the last 30 years. They planted over 120 churches there. They're in their 80s, and they're still being on the mission field. They're still doing things, and they call their ministry koinonia, because koinonia basically means to be in a profound relationship of fellowship. It's not just a, hey, we're in a relationship with each other. Hey, we're buddies. Hey, we're Facebook friends. This is more than Facebook friends. This is a profound relationship of fellowship. And let me tell you, when it's used, it's usually used in a context of business. Now, why is that significant? Because when you're in a partnership in business, it basically means you've got skin in the game. It basically means you put an investment in the business. So that means if your partner goes down, you go down. If you go down, your partner goes down. This is more than just having a Facebook friend that basically when you're going through a difficult time, sends you a little text or a little, a little post that says, my thoughts and prayers are with you. That's, it's wonderful that you're thinking of me. It's wonderful that your prayers are for me. But I need some skin in the game. I need someone that wants to be in partnership with me to say, I'm going to go through this with you. And if you go down, I'm going to go down. 
That's a significant type of relationship that he's saying to them. He goes, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, because the fact that you said you're going to be a part of this with me, you've got skin in the game in this. Now, why was it so important that he said that? Because they were the only church who decided to financially support Paul. The only church. And when he was in prison, they didn't just send him money to feed himself. Because remember, prison wasn't just like a prison here where you get three meals a day and you have air conditioning and you have a toilet and blah, blah. No, this was in Rome. This is where they were brutalizing people. They were horrifically uh, treating people. And when they put you in prison, you were starving. And they not only sent money to him, they sent him a helper to look after him physically, to, to bring him food. And his name was Epaphroditus. They sent a helper to him. And they literally, listen now, they literally put their money where their mouth was. Years ago when I, I went off on, uh, I, went, um, I went to New Zealand to go to a Bible college there for some time. And I'll be honest, I was a poor student. I didn't really have some, a lot of money, but I found my way to get there. You know, if you want something bad enough, it's amazing how you can do it. And I found my way to get there. And then I got there and I was there for, for about half a year or more uh, at this Bible college. And then I flew back to Scotland. And as I flew back to Scotland, I knew fine well I had no money. I'm sorry, I flew back to England and I knew fine well I had no money to get from England to Scotland. And I didn't know how I was going to get from one country to the next. Oh my God, I've got no money. I've got no flight. And I just thought, what I'll do is I'll go on the highway and I'll put my thumb out and it might take me several days just to try and get back to Scotland. That's all I could think of. And for some strange reason, I thought, let me check my bank account to see if there's any money there. Maybe there'll be five bucks so I can try and get at least a bite to eat before I try and make the journey over several days to get back to Scotland. And when I went there, there was all this money in my bank account and I couldn't, I didn't know why it was there. And I was like overjoyed. I was so excited by it. And so I was able to buy a plane ticket and I flew back to Scotland. And I'm like, mom, dad, did you give me money? And they're like, we didn't give you a penny. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, okay, well, thanks for thinking of me. Hey, it was, it was your mission. You wanted to do it. <laughs> I'm like, so, so I couldn't figure out who had given it to me. Then I went back to my original Bible college in order to try and finish off my degree. And my roommate's fiance said, did you get the money I sent to you? And I'm like, you sent the money. That was 26 years ago. Today, I still speak in joy about what she had done for me. Why? Because she had shown me that she had skin in the game. That she said, I don't want to just send you prayers and thoughts. I want to send you something to say, I'm going to help you do what you're going to do. Whatever happens to you, helps, it happens to me. And I absolutely love that. It continues on. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. There he is. He's talking about being in chains. He is in chains because of he was considered a dangerous man. Now, what they had done is the Romans had decided he was too dangerous. They took him to Rome to put him on trial. 
Why didn't they just go ahead and kill him? Because he was a Roman as well as he was a Jew. Now, he actually wasn't in Philippi for very long. He was only there for about maybe three months before he was actually imprisoned there. But he was so moved, he was so impressed with the Philippians that they didn't just capture the vision, but they ran with the vision as well. That's why he was so excited to say, you have started from the beginning and you're still in it. And not, not only were you still in with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you decided to support me. How overwhelmed was he with this idea? And by the way, that church was mostly made up of women. Wow. This was a church that was mostly made up of women. In fact, this was the, the first woman pastor he had put in charge of a church. His name, her name was Lydia. She was an Asian businesswoman who had the money. And she started a church. And it was mostly women that actually started this church. And then, of course, men were added to it. He was moved and excited that they had caught the vision. It continues on. God can testify how long I, how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Why did he have that affection? Because of everything I just said. They were people who caught his vision and they ran with it. And they said, we want to be a part of it. And what they did is they committed to their time, their talent, and their treasure. They said, we're going to give time to this. We're going to give our talent and our, and, our, and our skills to this. My leadership as a woman in business, I'm going to run a church just as I would a business. And this is going to become a significant church. And she said, and also I'm going to give my treasure as well. They gave their time, their talent, their treasure. Can I tell you what a blessing it is when someone comes along and they say, we're going to give our time, our talent, and our treasure to be in partnership with what you're doing. It continues on. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to him? Well, we know he's in prison. It's actually going to get a little bit worse. And now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. So this was no normal guard. This wasn't just some Roman centurions that were looking after him. This is the palace guard, the top uh, elite guard, the palace guard. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, that I am in chains for who? People got to hear about why he was in chains. This is significant. You see, Paul's motive wasn't just to survive. His motive was so strong for the gospel that he saw being in chains as an opportunity. He's like, wait, wait, you're going to chain me to the elite guard and everybody that's in Rome is going to find out about me preaching to God. Sign me up. How many of you have ever desired to be put into a horrible and horrific moment in life in order that the gospel of Christ might be spread through you? We don't usually make those connections, do we? In fact, when he uses the word chain, the word chain isn't the chain, in, in your old uh, scriptures, you probably see the word bond, right? It's actually a short chain. 
That meant they considered him a dangerous enough person that he had to be chained to someone else. Can you imagine those suckers that were chained to him day and night? Can you imagine if they were atheists or they were uh, uh, polytheists and they believed in other gods and he's like, oh, you're chained? What's your name? Decimus? Great. Decimus, do I have a story for you, brother? Let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. The joy that was inside of him because he got to, this was the pinnacle of his ministry. The opportunity to speak to the highest of the high, the, the Roman guard, the judges, the slaves, the servants, the, 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 maybe even the, the Roman emperor himself. He got to speak to all of them. They were a captive audience for himself. Here's my question for you this morning. Who or what are you chained to? What does God have you chained to in your life? Maybe some of you feel like you're chained in your marriage. Maybe some of you feel like you're chained to your family. Your family are just, a, they, they don't get you. They're against you. And, or maybe you feel like you're, you're, you're chained to your job or you're, you're chained to your vocation or your boss or whatever it is that you're chained to. You have to see that that's your opportunity for Christ to come through you in that situation. It's the opportunity to show the power of Jesus Christ in the worst of places. It's easy to see Christ when everything is going well and everything's fantastic. But what I love about this is that whoever you're chained to has to have an effect on other people because he continues on. Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Remember, we're talking about him being in Rome. Those are the days when they took Christians and they threw them to the lions for entertainment. Can you imagine the fear that came amongst the community of believers that was in Rome when they were being massacred, brutally massacred? And he said, because of the way that I'm responding to my situation, my, my, my brothers and my sisters, they are daring all the more to proclaim the gospel as well. There's horrific stories that we have of women who were, their babies were ripped from them. And they said, if you don't deny Christ, we'll put your baby to the lions right now. And they did. But the woman, the mother said, I cannot, I cannot reject my Lord and Savior. I cannot reject Jesus Christ. And they threw their babies to the lions. This is the type of persecution they were going through. I'm sorry, does any of you have that type of persecution in your life? Are you going through anything quite as bad as that? It's so easy to see that we've gone through something difficult. I'm going through such a tough time. But there are other saints in the faith who have gone through, gone through worse things than us. And they still had joy. And they still asked that God would use them powerfully to be able to change people's lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Paul did brought boldness to other Christians. What type of attitude are you stirring up in other people? Are you stirring up an attitude of fear or of, of panic or anger that, that when you speak that people just react against you? Or are you stirring up boldness and joy amongst fe fellow believers? What a difference that is to be uh, that type of Christian. Look at this. Let's continue on. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Now he's talking about problems outside of the church. Now he's talking about problems inside of the church. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. I got problems with even, even with my own family of believers, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, what we could do is we could stop right there. 
If we stopped right there, we would, we would see that Paul is pointing out the problem and we would wonder, is he really complaining? Is he complaining about people who are opposing him? No, what he does is he goes, but what does it matter? What does it matter? If people are for me or against me, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true motives, Christ is preached. And then he says, and because of that, I rejoice. I rejoice and fill myself up because Christ is being preached. He didn't care if they had a bad motive or a good motive. I'll be honest, I've probably been guilty of this when I see other preachers and pastors preaching a type of gospel that just doesn't seem Christ-centric and, and I don't like the way they're doing things. I don't know they're doing this, they're doing that. You know what? They're doing a job of preaching the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I should be rejoicing in that. And through repentance and forgiveness, I should be able to say, thank God that they are preaching Christ. What does it matter? Why is it, why is it we take everything so personally? Why is it that we are so thin-skinned that when someone says something we disagree with, we take it so personally? One of my mentors who just died this year, he was going to a, 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 a town to do a, a series of, of uh, uh, teachings there. And there was a lot of churches that didn't like his theology, so they actually spoke up against him. And they started putting a word out there, and the word got back to him that the people were speaking against me. And he went to God, and he said, God, people are saying bad things about me. What do I do? This is not fair. And he felt God quickened himself in his spirit. He felt God speak to him and said, they imagine if they knew the truth about you. Imagine if they knew the real story about who you are. And what bad things are in you. And at that point, he was humbled enough to go, thank God, I've been saved by grace. Paul is saying here that the messenger does not matter. The message does. Many of you might even be wondering, Lord, I am not ready to tell other people about Jesus Christ. I am not good enough. I'm not capable enough. I'm just not ready. Who am I? Let me tell you, it's not about you. It's, it's not about how good you are, how smart you are, how cool you are, if you've got an accent or if you don't have an accent. Just tell someone about Christ. Tell them about what Christ has done in your life, at least. You don't have to force them to, or you don't have to know exactly how to lead them through all the steps of getting to know Jesus. Just tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. That might and should change someone's life. The harvest is ready, are you? Yes, you are. Just go tell someone about Christ. He continues on. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Why is he so concerned about Christ being exalted in his body. It seems like, just keep talking about Jesus, just keep talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we sometimes see sickness as a chain, if we see ailments in our bodies as a chain to ourselves, and we see that as an impediment to do the things that God has called us to do. Or even, we even see it as a bad reflection on Christ. Well, I haven't gotten healing from my body, so maybe... God doesn't love me enough. Maybe I'm not good enough. So therefore, I'm not ready because I haven't seen this healing in my body. Most of us, though, want healing in our body for comfort, not for the gospel of Christ. Right? 
That's true. I mean, that's, that's a human thing to do. It's okay to ask for healing. Jesus told us to ask for it. But most healings, here's an interesting thing. I did a study on this and I, and, I, and I noticed this, that most healings in the New Testament were actually in the context of evangelism. The amount of Christians in the New Testament that never got healed. In fact, the helper that Aphroditus, who was sent by the Philippians to go help Paul, he got sick. Paul healed, prayed for him. He didn't get healed. So Paul sent him back and said, he's sick. I think he's going to die. There are many Christians who have never gotten over sickness, who have never been able to get past brokenness in their body, but they've equated it to a chain that has impeded them from doing the things of God. Paul's example here is there is no chain that should stop you from doing the things of God. Just speak up for the sake of Jesus Christ. He continues on. I word somewhere. Okay, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He's basically saying, I want you to get so encouraged and so emboldened because of what you see God doing in my life, even though I'm going through trial and tribulation. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This phrase really struck me. I'll tell you why. Because there was something that my father used to say all the time. Whenever we were going through difficult times or, or people were against me or people were, going, were, were coming against us as a church or whatever they were saying, my father would always say this. He'd go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. It's not your life. It's not your church. So don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. He's saying it does not matter. Whatever happens, whether it goes this way or it goes that way, none of it matters. Stop being distracted by threats. Stop being distracted by disease, by war, by attacks, by slander, by, by, by difficulties, by chains that are in your life. Stop being distracted by it. It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. The only thing that matters is are you doing what God told you to do? Because someday you'll be out of this body. Someday you'll be away from all the chains and you'll still be asked, what did you do with what I gave? I gave to you treasures. I gave to you time. I gave to you talent. What did you do with what I gave you? But Jesus, I don't know if you know, but I had to wear a mask all the time. It was really difficult. I had locked down. I mean, I just, I can't, I can't handle this anymore. I was scared about the disease that was going on. I couldn't do anything. I was frozen in fear. I've lost my job. My, my wife left me. My dog hates me. All these different reasons we could come up with, with the whatever chains are in front of us and God will go, uh-huh. I gave those things to you. I'm still wondering, what did you do with what I gave you? It doesn't matter. Get the perspective. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. 
whether it's the world that opposes you, whether it is the church that opposes you, whether it's your family that opposes you, whether it's sickness or disease that opposes you, stop being frightened. Why? Because that's the number one tactic of the devil, to put you in fear, to put you in lockdown, to say nothing, to say nothing, to not speak up about what Jesus has done in your life and tell someone else about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without being frightened in any way, those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. And the last thing he says is this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. Did you see that word granted? It has been granted. You've been given the privilege. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ Jesus, not only to believe in him, but also to, what does that word say? I don't like that word. Can we just clip that out? Can we just take out the suffering part? That doesn't seem like the the, the powerful Jesus with with the life of joy and I have health, and I have prosperity, and I have conquered all things of this earth. We are taking over the land for Jesus. Maybe the land doesn't want to be taken for Jesus. Maybe the land doesn't want to hear you. Maybe they will persecute you. But guess what? You've been granted the right to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, I pray this morning, that today that we'll be encouraged by what the words are from our brother Paul, who told us to sucketh it up in the name of Jesus, to stand up and get about the business of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to not look upon our chains as limitations or hindrances, but simply as opportunities to bring the gospel to people we would never have gotten to take it to in the first place. God, I pray you would forgive us for being whiners in the name of Jesus. We took a little bit of cheese and we added a little bit of wine to it and we made it a little feast for ourselves, a little pity party. Lord, we want to get rid of that, Lord, and say we're standing up and saying, use me, oh God. I pray, Father, you would fill us with your spirit to be encouraged once again to get out there and see the gospel of Jesus Christ grow. We ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, Amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Let's give him a great joy. A hand of thanks. God bless you.